Kim, welcome to the stage. I'm really, really glad that you're here. Tell everybody just a little bit about you. Where are you from? And uh, tell us a little bit about your spiritual background. Well, so I grew up close to here, up in Centerville, um, suburb of Dayton. And we grew up in going to a Catholic church. Um, you know, kind of did it just to check the box. It wasn't necessarily something that was really highly valued in our family. But it was, um, you know, just something that we did for show, um, just going to church every Sunday. Kim, about 64%, it's been a few years since we did the survey, of people who call Four Corners home grew up Catholic. Yeah. And somehow as they got into their late teen and early 20 years old, they kind of backed away from church altogether. That's kind of where you were. A little bit, yeah. And so um, in junior high, I had a good friend. Um, her name was Jeanette, and she's still a dear friend of mine. Um, she invited me to church with her. And every single Sunday that she invited me, I said, no. I said, I'm, I'm not interested. I don't like church, and I don't want to go. And so she was persistent over and over and over again um, as a, you know, seventh grader invited me to go to church with her and into eighth grade invited me to go to church with her for a year and a half. She was consistent. And finally one night she said, hey, you want to spend the night? And I'm like, yeah, sure. It was a Sunday. And her church was one that met Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening. And um, so I said, yeah, I'm going to spend the night because we didn't have school on Monday. And uh, she said, well, if you spend the night, you're going to have to come to church with me. I'm like, ah, <laughs> there was probably yeah. a youth pastor somewhere pushing her to invite friends. Potentially, saying, yes. Saying, yeah. hey, you know, get them here however you can, yeah. right? Right. So I agreed and went with her. And that Sunday I walked into that church and felt a love like I had never felt before um, by complete strangers. Um, little did I know it was really just the love of God that I was feeling, um, you know, but it was something that I desired and that I longed for and um, knew I needed more of. Kim, you had a family like, like most of us in some ways, a pretty good family, but challenges as well. Sure. Yeah. And this kind of set you up for that experience. Mm -hmm. You were old enough to see some of the imperfections in your family. Right. So when you showed up at church, it just felt different. Yes. And Very, warm. Yeah. And welcoming. Yeah. Pretty yeah. big deal. Absolutely. It began to change your life. Now, mm -hmm. at what point would you say you kind of chose a relationship with Jesus? You realized God had, you know, sent his yeah. son. It was available to you, and you went, I want that. Went, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I continued to go to church with Jeanette on Sunday morning and Sunday evening, and they had a little youth group, literally little. Um, I was one of three girls, and then there were like six or seven guys that came as well. So we were a small little group, but they had this little youth choir, and they kept talking about this trip that they were going to take over the summer. It was going to be part mission but part fun, and we were going to sing and do all kinds of fun things, and I knew I needed to go. Um, had a lot of opposition at home. Um, my mom kept saying every, every day that I would say I wanted to go, no, here's a reason why you can't go, you can't go, you can't go, and um, I ended up going anywhere. I don't know how I ended up on that bus, but I got there and went on this trip with them, and it was fantastic. In the middle of the trip, we went to um, the Ozark Mountains and saw this great passion play that was the story of the last week in the life of Christ, and um, afterwards, the youth pastor and the pastor of the church pulled me aside and said, you know, do you understand this? Do you understand what God, what God did? And, uh, you know, so it was just a neat experience to be able to sit and talk with them and to realize that there was more to a relationship with Jesus um, that I had no idea was even there or even available. Um, so in that moment, accepted Christ as my Savior and have followed him ever since. 
And you've been perfect. Life's been great. Absolutely. No. <laughs> no, anybody that says you follow Christ and things get easier, that's totally wrong. Don't follow Christ if you want things easier. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. It doesn't necessarily get easier in the circumstances, but something right. happens. Mm -hmm. There's a sense of direction and purpose that we right. begin to find, but it really is a journey. Yeah. And so that's why we use the language of next step, next mm -hmm. step, taking the journey. Yeah. And for a lot of folks that have shared their stories over the last few weeks, as we've been in this message series, that's been a consistent theme. Sure. All right, tell us a bit about, jump forward, how did you and your husband, Brian, your kids, end up mm -hmm. at this place? Yeah, so we uh, were, Brian and I were both Young Life leaders, and we started having kids, and being a Young Life leader got hard working with the high school students and having little kids with us. So we did it a couple years into having our first couple of our four kids. Um, and then we decided just to kind of step back from Young Life a little bit. So we were praying about another area to have ministry in, and at that time, two separate people at separate occasions came to us and said, hey, there's this church that's starting up, and, you know, you want to be a part of it? And so we thought, well, we had these two people that have come to us separately, and we've been praying about an opportunity, so let's go check it out. Um, so we started coming well before CHCA. Yeah. Early so on. Our church started in a, in a school building called Cincinnati Hills Christian mm -hmm. Academy, but before then we were just meeting at home. So you and yeah. Brian were a part of the launch team that started yeah. this church a year, a well, a well over yeah. a year before we ever held our first right. service. Mm -hmm. And so I remember your kids were young, my Very kids little. were young, yeah. and uh, we'd get together and we'd talk and mm -hmm. pray about this church that we've been right. doing now for over 12 years. Right. You've been here a long time. Very long time. Yeah, and your children are older, you look the yeah. same. Of it's course. Amazing. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. All right, so you guys are here, you're doing things, and the Lord is growing you. Sure. Yeah. Take us to the moment you and I were talking about um, where you begin to feel God stirring you to be a part of an experience. Yeah. Back us up a little bit. Talk to us about this moment where mm -hmm. uh, you learned a powerful spiritual lesson. Yeah, so, you know, I had talked to Brian a couple times. That This was back in, I would say, 2009, early 2010. Um, and our, our children were fairly little. We had four at the time. We still do. And... Um, you know, the, our oldest two girls, Allie and Emily, were 8 and 10 at the time. And, you know, I kind of just felt like maybe we should take them on a mission trip. Maybe we should do something like that. And so I mentioned it to Brian and said, you know, what about, what about me taking the girls on a mission trip? You know, maybe one girl this summer and one girl another summer. And, you know, we'll just kind of start a little pattern. And he said, yeah, great idea. You know, we'll do that sometime down the road. And I was like, great, sounds good. Kind of dropped it. Um, and then... Early in 2010, um, you were, we were here in church, and you had a sermon message on the Holy Spirit. And I apologize. I remember very little of what you said that day. Thank you. Yes. I but, that. That's awesome. <laughs> but it was a very, it was a very um, it, it, powerful experience for me. Um, you know, sometimes you have a conversation with others in your head, and you anticipate how things might go, and so you imagine what one person might say, and you answer back. Um, I was having what I felt like was a conversation with God, which doesn't happen very often. Um, but in my mind, I kind of felt him say, and I want you to go on a mission trip with the girls. Like, yeah, I know. I want to do that. That's my plan. And I kind of felt him say, well, I want you to go right now. Go this summer. And I'm like, well, that's too soon. It's February, and that's not, that's too soon. Um, and then I was kind of saying, well, I don't even know who I would take. You know, which one would I start with? And kind of felt him just say, take them both. I'm like, wait a minute, you don't, God, do you see how they fight? They don't get along. They're, you know, why would I take them both? Yeah. And I don't travel, you know, yeah. I'm not much of a traveler, if, especially without my husband. Um, 
And I was like, well, I don't even know where we would go. And at the time, there was a group, of, a small group of people who were going to take some people to um, Monterey, Mexico with back-to-back ministries and um, kind of felt him say, go to, go to Mexico, go with back-to-back. I'm like, Mexico? <laughs> That's far away. I'm thinking like Tennessee, maybe, maybe, you know, somewhere closer, not Mexico. Um, and I just, you know, really just felt him saying, just go, go this summer, take both girls and go to Mexico. You know, God does put ideas in our head. Mm-hmm. And um, the idea of stepping out, stretching yourself. But I, I love that, you know, you're wrestling with, ultimately you wanted to have this experience with your girls, but you right. wanted to make a spiritual experience and a memory with yeah. them, um, which is really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, you're leveraging the power of a parent in a typically different way than what normally comes in. Right. So way to go on that. Mm-hmm. And it just was a little hard to land on it. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened? Well, so, you know, I, one of your next bold steps was um, ask the Holy Spirit to do something big. And so I checked it. And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, this is too big. <laughs> this is way too big. But I checked it anyway. And that evening I talked to Brian and I said, you know, you need to know what I put on my next bold step for today because it kind of impacts our entire family. So we sat on the couch and talked about it. And, you know, he, he had some reservations. I had some He's res- an engineer. He is. They very practical. They always have reservations. It's <laughs> very okay. practical, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the financial part was going to be huge. Yeah. We had two little kids that we'd be leaving at home. He still had to work. Um, you know, we didn't know who would watch them. We didn't know if we would get the money in. There were a lot of hurdles that we were going to have to overcome in order for this to happen, especially that quickly. Um, so we really started praying about it, and we prayed that if this was something God wanted us to do, that it would become obvious that he would open the doors or that he would close them so that we would know that it was not the right timing. Yeah. Um, so that's what we started to do is we started to pray. So you felt a hunch, you began yeah. to pray. There's a pattern here. So yeah. I've had the opportunity to chat with people about stories many, many times. And it's amazing the kinds of patterns you see. You feel a hunch, you begin to step forward, you begin to pray about it. And interestingly enough, God begins to reveal the path. And that's kind of what happened here, right? So what happened? Well, so the very next day, I took some steps to see if it was even possible to go. Um, And I'll be honest, I was hesitant, you know. And so I called Diane, who was leading the trip, and kind of, was trying to lead her to tell me it was too late to go. To, it was too late to sign up. And, you know, hey, it's the, probably too late. Yeah, it's probably too late to do this. Oh, no, no, it's not. It's, you, can, you can go. And I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm kind of thinking of bringing my two girls. I really couldn't bring two young kids. Yeah, so you know, they're probably too young, don't you think? And she's like, oh, no, I think they're the perfect age. There would be great jobs for them to do. I really think they would do well with it. Oh, crud. So I hang up with her and I call my, my good friend. It, it's amazing because yeah. you're doing this battle internally. I know yes. it, where it's like, I know this, I need to do it, but I'm hesitant. At the, and you're yes. kind of fighting a battle of the will, right? The, the right. Bible actually calls it the flesh. Yeah. You're kind of battling the flesh as you mm-hmm. press into these spiritual sure. things. Yeah. So I call my good friend who's a pediatrician. And I said to her, you know, hey, from a friend perspective, because she knows my kids well, um, from a friend perspective and from a pediatric perspective, do you think this is a good idea? So you're trying to get the medical out. I am. We would go, yeah. Lord, but medically but th- it's, it's not, not important. It's not, you know, whatever. I was trying to get yeah. every aspect of this. Right. Um, you know, and so she's like, oh, I think that's a great idea. And when are you going? And I said, well, it's in June. And she said, well, which week? I told her, and she said, I'm off that week. She said, I could watch your kids. Your other kids? Yeah, the other two that would be at home. Check, check, check. Right? (laughs) Oh, no. Okay. (laughs) So I hang up with her, and, you know, later that evening, um, 
Brian has a good friend that comes over and they have accountability. They've been meeting for a very long time and we're chatting with him and I'm telling him the whole last 24 hours and, you know, I said, gosh, what do you, he's also a doctor as well. So again, I'm trying to look for this, anything, <laughs> um, you know, and we're telling him the story and he's like, gosh, as I'm standing here listening to you, he said, I just really feel impressed to give you a large chunk of money. Um, and so I'm going to give you some money and it ended up being about a third of the cost of what it was going to cost us to go. And so again, there was another check and I was like, okay. So that night, Brian and I talked. I'm like, we got to do this. I'm like, yeah, God's opening the doors. Point, the doors are open. Yeah, they, none <laughs> were closing and huge, huge hurdles were being overcome already. All right. So let's fast forward. You you end up going. We go. We you go, go to Mexico. Yeah. It's amazing. It, is. it stretches you. Mm -hmm. It's all good. It's all good? It's all good. I, I keep thinking the whole time, this is great. This is why we came. I'm watching my girls grow, and I'm watching myself grow, and we're interacting with these orphan kids in an experience that we never could have gotten anywhere else, and it was good until halfway through the trip. What happened? So Todd Guckenberger, the director of Back-to-Back um, -back Ministries, gets up on stage after worship, and he says, hey, guys, I got some news. I know it's only June, but there's a hurricane. And it looks like it's going to make a direct hit on Monterey, Mexico. And he said, this is early in the season, first hurricane of the season. We don't know where this came from, but it's coming. And uh, worst case scenario, we're going to get five to ten inches of rain. He said it's going to paralyze the city because Monterey is a bowl. It's surrounded by mountains. So all that mountain water comes down into the city and floods. They don't get a lot of rain, I guess. So you guys are hearing it that way. We're mm -hmm. here. We've got a bunch of foreseers down mm -hmm. in Mexico. And we hear um, it's really going to be bad. Yeah. And so we start praying here mm -hmm. because we're concerned, really, for yeah. safety. Right. And, boy, the rain comes, doesn't it? Oh, it came. Give us a snapshot of what that it looked like. It came. It rained harder than I've ever seen it rain before and longer and more consistent than I've ever seen it rain before. Um, what they said was going to be 5 to 10 inches of rain, and no lie, ended up being 40 inches of rain over 36 hours. 40 inches 40 of rain. inches of rain. <laughs> I am not kidding. It, I have seen things that I never thought yeah. I would see. Water. And we're getting the occasional text from a oh. few of our four seers in Mexico going, it's bad, guys. Yeah. We're concerned. Yeah. And well, a lot of tension and just yes. concerns for safety. So the camp that we were on that was partway up a mountain was surrounded by a wall. There was sewage water that was flooding through the camp. Um, they were saying we need to ration food. There was no power for the majority of that time. There was really very little communication outside. I couldn't talk with Brian. I've got my two girls there. You know, I've got my two kids at home. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, what have we done? Um, I was scared, you know, and I was. This is the time to start blaming God. I did. I did. I'll be honest. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, okay, God, you opened the doors. God, you got me into this. Right, to you come. You sound like the children of Israel when you do that. Right, You I got know. me into this, Lord, and now yeah, look. Yeah, what, look what, why, for this, you know, mm. I was really, I was quite confused, and yeah. I was a little bit angry um, and just concerned. You know, Thursday night, they're saying, if it doesn't stop raining, we don't know that we're going to get you out of here tomorrow. We're supposed to go home on Friday. And I laid in bed all night Thursday night praying. I have never prayed like that in my entire life. And I feel like every time I prayed that the rain would slow down, it would literally rain harder. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I've I mean, been, I've been there with not rain, but other things. Yeah. You're like, God, just help me. And it, yeah, and it up just gets more. So how do you get out? Well, we wake up Friday morning and not only was it still raining, 
Emily, who was eight at the time, wakes up and she says, Mommy, I don't feel very good. And so she had a fever. She started vomiting. Um, she spent most of the day in the infirmary. I have Allie, who's scared, and, you know, she's trying to pack. At one point they said, we think we can get you out of here. Um, there were three ways out. One way was six feet underwater. One way the bridge was already wiped away. And the other way was another bridge that was only covered by a foot of water. You know what they say about don't cross a bridge that's covered in water. That was the way they were going to get us out, um, was the one that only had a foot of water over it. Um, so, you know, we're in the middle of them saying, okay, pack what you can, but take only what you can carry on your back because everything else you're leaving behind, we'll just donate it. You're not going to get it back. We just need to get you out of here. So whatever you can carry on your back, put on your back, and we're going to go. So I've got my sick kid. I've got my other scared kid who now is not feeling well either. I'm thinking, this is scary, and we got to get out of here, and I don't know how we're going to do this. So in that moment, I was sitting on this little front porch, and um, I was possibly a little teary and just a little overwhelmed. And um, Beth Guggenberger, who was also the other director of um, Back to Back Ministries, she came up and she sat down next to me. And we had a conversation that was life-changing, um, which I didn't know it would be. And, and I'm a mess. I'm crying, and I'm stressed. And um, What would you say? She, well, she sits down. She says, how are you doing? <laughs> what do you mean, how am I doing? <laughs> like, there's, there's a flood, and I'm scared, and i got to get my kids out of here. And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a little overwhelmed. And she's like, yeah, I get it. You know, and I said, you know, trying to be spiritual and stuff. You know, I'm like, I know in my heart we're going to get through this. I know we're going to get home. I know it's going to be okay. We'll have a good story. Although in my head, I was thinking, maybe we won't get home. Maybe this really is God's plan to bring us home, which freaked me out a little bit. But, you know, I, I'm telling her, you know, I, I know that God's going to get us through this. I know we're going to be okay. But I don't have to like it, do I? And she kind of looked at me with that look that, like a sweet mom looking to her little kid that, you know, just said something wrong. And I'm like, oh, crap, I just... I didn't say something right. What did I do? Um, and she looked at me and she said, I don't know. She said, I'm going to have to think on that one. And in such a gentle way, she said, I kind of wonder if maybe you do. And I thought, wow. And I had a choice in that moment to either get really angry and to throw back at her, you don't know my life. You don't know my story. You don't know all of the things that I have been through. You don't know how I got here in the first place. You don't know how God brought me here, and God brought me here for this, and you're telling me that maybe I do have to like this, or I could have chosen to just pause in that moment and to really just let that sink in, and so that's what I did, and, and I told her, I said, I'll think on that too, and so we did get out of there um, safely, only a day late, got home 24 hours after we should have gotten home, which is amazing, um, and that moment of sitting there with Beth resonated with me for years and still does. Um, Un unpack that for me as we get ready to, to transition here because that's where I'm going to lean in in the message today. Mm -hmm. Unpack for me why you think that comment, maybe you do have to like it. Because that creates tension for me even as I hear right. you say it. Mm -hmm. But our passage is going to speak to some of that today. What was it doing in you? How did that, how did that begin to wash over you? Yeah, so for me, you know, I, I feel like I've come full circle. You know, I've come to a place of where, you know, I thought about that so much that, okay, maybe I do need to like my circumstances. Maybe I do need to like, you know, I, I thought of the verse in James that says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And I'm like, I don't want to face my, I don't want to like my trials. You know, there's so much evil in this world. I don't want to like the evil. 
And then I've come all the way back around to thinking, I don't think I have to. I don't think I have to like the evil. God doesn't. And I don't think that I have to like that either. So while I don't have to like my circumstances, I'm now at a place where I can like what God is doing through them. And I can be in a place where I can think, okay, this really sucks. I'm sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on stage. You're not. It does. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) This situation's bad. But... I really like what God is doing through it. Yeah. And I can look back at that moment in Mexico and I can see the good now, you know, because hindsight's twenty twenty, And I can see what he did through that. Um, and I can use that now for my circumstances that I'm facing, you know, currently and will face in the future. So here's my last question for you, Kim. So you have this moment, mm-hmm. it engenders in you a lot of thought, a lot of process, mm-hmm. really kind of kicks you on a journey yeah. that you weren't necessarily wanting to go on. That the last time you've had to engage that idea? Like you get it once and forever and it's done? Absolutely, yeah. No, (laughs) no, absolutely not. It's something that is recurring for me and it just, it keeps coming up. Yeah. Our circumstances speak so loudly into our lives Mm -hmm. that sometimes it's hard to let what God is doing in those circumstances Mm -hmm. speak louder than our emotion at the moment. Right. Hey, thanks for sharing so much of your story with us today. Would you guys say thanks to Kim? (laughs) Thank you, Kim. We really appreciate it. God bless you. Thanks. Thank you. (laughs) Well, we're going to look at Philippians again today. Philippians chapter 2, if you have your Bible, please feel free to go there. And um, I think that you'll enjoy what we're talking about today. And Kim's story is a great segue into what we're doing. You can follow along in your message notes. They look like this. On the front of that are some pictures of our Christmas offering that we're doing. And on the back, some information. But on the inside, there's some fill-in-the-blank stuff for us. So we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2. Just a couple of verses again today. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. And I, and I think that maybe all of us, we, whether we've been in Mexico on a mission trip or not, are going to be able to relate to the idea that Paul's talking about and that Kim talked about, which is that sometimes our circumstances aren't enjoyable. And we find ourselves in places, and it's really easy to complain, feel angry, feel frustrated, but God has something to say about that, and he wants to teach us. And here in this season of joy where we're singing joy to the world and a lot of our songs talk about, you know, the Merry Christmas season and all that's available to us, we want to, as a church, make sure that we're getting the real joy that God has for us. That's why we're parking in the book of Philippians, the book that Paul wrote to a church that when he started the church was very difficult for him. It was very tough. He had a real rough go. It was treated very poorly. And yet when he, a few years later, writes them a letter, the most common word that he uses over 16 times, he writes some derivative of the word joy. Rough situation, but when he reflects on it, he has discovered joy in it. And that's really what I I want for you. I want us to discover joy this holiday season, maybe like you haven't in a very long time. So Philippians chapter 2, verse number 14 and 15, right here in your message notes, here's what it says. Do everything without complaining or arguing, Paul writes, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Now, without being a theologian, just by simply looking at the words, you know this, that there is a tendency to complain and to argue But God wants his people to do it slightly differently. He wants them to shine like stars in a world that's dark with corruption and evil. 
God wants us to shine like stars, and our ability to shine like stars is somehow connected to this concept that Paul presents to us, that we don't do things complaining and arguing. Some of you know what I'm talking about when I talk about complaining, because you're a complainer. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you're married to a complainer. In fact, some of us even in the room, we're so negative, we even have negative blood. We really do. It's a pun. I get it. It's not that funny. It's okay. Thanks for the, the, the chuckle. I appreciate it. All right. So what I want to do before we kind of unpack this verse a little bit more is I want to talk about four kinds of complainers. And here's why. Because you can read the Bible, and sometimes the Bible will describe something that is you. It'll describe a situation, and it's you. But when you read it, when you hear it, you don't think about you. You think about the people around you. So what I want to do is I want to park on this word complain for just a little bit and ask yourself this question. When Ben goes through this list of complainers, which one am I most like? Because all of us can be complainers from time to time. And it's normal, it's natural, it's even healthy, I guess, to some degree. But this passage is encouraging us to not let complaining and arguing consume our life. Not let it to be a primary descriptor of the way we engage our world. And if you're married to a complainer, if you were raised in a home where there was a complainer, you know intuitively the damaging impact. And so even apart from the Bible saying followers of Jesus shouldn't be given to too much complaining, you know practically how difficult it can be to always being around a complainer. So there in your message notes, the first kind is the whiner. And on that blank, you can write this phrase, it's not fair. It's not fair. Fair. If you have more than two children in your home, if you are a parent of more than one child, right, um, you've seen your kids play together and you just give it enough time, you're going to hear the phrase, somebody's going to say to you, it's not fair. If you've been the parent of a middle schooler, at some point they came to you and they said, can I do this? Johnny's going to do it. And you say, I don't care if Johnny's going to do it. You don't get to do it. And their response was, it's not fair, right? This is the complaint that a lot of complainers have. You've seen this. And by the way, there are even people in our Bible who were given to, on occasion, kind of a whininess about life. They were given to a whininess about life. And one of those guys is the guy David. And in fact, I have one of his passages right here from the book of Psalms, chapter 73, verse 13. Here's how David kind of whined about his circumstances at one point. He said, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and I have washed my hands in innocence. And all day long, though, I've been afflicted. And every morning brings new punishment. David's saying, I did right. I, I did what I was supposed to do. I gave my heart. I lived innocently with people. And what did it get me? It got me nowhere. I still get trouble in life. It's not fair. Some of us had the idea instead of rise and shine, it's kind of rise and whine. Have you ever met Anybody like that? Yeah. Instead of getting up and saying, good morning, Lord, we say, good Lord, it's morning. Right? That's the way that works. And there are even people in the New Testament. One day, there was an owner of a field, and he had to have the, the field tended to. So he went out and he hired day laborers, and he gave them the fair wage for one full day's labor. And they were glad to get the work. But somewhere around noon... He realized they weren't going to get done with the work. So he went out and he hired more people for half a day's work. But he gave those people who were working half a day a full day's pay. And when the people who were working the full day's work 
for a full day's pay, heard that other people were getting more hourly rate than they were, they started complaining. And Jesus used this as an opportunity to say to those people who were hearing this parable he was telling, he used this as an opportunity to say, look, your heavenly father is aware of justice. He's aware of fairness issues. But you can, if you're not careful, get upside down on what you think is right and wrong really quick. And some of us are kind of given to this sort of thing, and that's why it shows up in the Bible. One of the reasons I love the Bible and I think the Bible's reliable is when it talks about a hero like David, it doesn't make that hero out to be a perfect person. We get to see the, the foibles and the faults in David's engagement in life. So David was, even though he wrote the book of Psalms in our Bible, a good portion of it, even though he becomes the king of Israel and he kills Goliath, he does all this great stuff, he still had this tendency to kind of have a, a woe is me mentality. Some of us in the room, we're kind of wired that way. We're kind of wired that way to think in terms of life as being fair or not fair. And sometimes, here's the truth, I hope you've learned it already, it's not fair. Sometimes it's not fair what happened to you. You've had things, some of you, happen to you that weren't your fault. Somebody else sinned against you. They did things that shouldn't have been done to you, and it's not fair. But this passage calls us to not identify ourselves simply as the victim. It calls us to not simply argue and complain, but to instead to shine like stars in the heaven in a dark world. Some of us are whiners. I wonder, I wonder to what degree you might be a whiner. Here's number two, the martyr. Now, the martyr's favorite phrase is, no one appreciates me. No one appreciates me. We all go through possibly seasons where each one of these could define a certain thought that we've had. Moses, from the Bible, maybe you've heard of him, Ten Commandments and all. Look at, look at what Moses says. You may not even have realized this was in the Bible. In Numbers chapter 11, here's how Moses describes life. See if this sounds like a spiritual giant. He says, I cannot carry all these people by myself. He's talking to God. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. Yeah, exactly. There's a few chuckles. This is Moses. God, if you're going to keep this weight on me, just go ahead and take me out. I'm done with this. If I found favor in your eyes, don't let me face my own ruin. Now, to some degree, he's just being honest, and that's fine. But somewhere, if we're not careful, honesty transfers over to complaining. There's a place for honesty and bearing your feelings to the Lord so long as that negativity doesn't take root in us and grow. Because when that happens... When complaining and arguing about our circumstances define us, it's very difficult for us to shine. And again, you've known, many of you, what that's like because you've been in a relationship like that. You've experienced that. You've seen that in other people. Somebody you work with is like that. Kind of a Debbie Downer kind of thing, if you know the SNL character. So Moses describes life this way. It kind of reminds me of the hypochondriac that wrote on his tombstone, I told you I was sick, Right? Nobody believed me, right? This is the kid who's like, no one appreciates me. And you hear them talking. And you, if you've heard maybe middle schoolers or high school kids talking to their parents, you hear the phrase, but mom, but dad. And they kind of, you know, that's their approach. If they can just keep that kind of heat up in the relationship, they can get what they want out of it. The martyr, nobody appreciates me. Here's number three. See if you can relate to this one. Maybe it's you, maybe somebody next to you. The cynic. 
the cynic. The cynic says, nothing will ever change. It's not fair. Nobody appreciates me. Nothing will ever change. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, when he was writing about life, especially life without God, he gives us the idea of the cynic. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, he says, meaningless, meaningless, utter meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. Nothing's ever going to change. And you can be stuck in a situation where you actually lose hope that anything is ever going to change. Have you ever felt that way? It's okay to feel that way. But when that mentality becomes the defining way through which you look at life for a season, for an extended period of time, let me just be blunt with you for a second. It's not just hurting you, it's hurting the people around you. But it's not just hurting the people around you, it's hurting you. And there's a different way we're going to discover that we can engage our circumstances. And you heard a few hints of that in Kim's story. Nothing pleasant about that situation. And what was interesting is that she felt like the Lord had even directed her steps to be there. So what do you do? Well, I'm challenging you today to not do this, to not simply give yourself over to constant complaining. Look at the fourth one. This is a particularly interesting one. The perfectionist. The perfectionist's favorite phrase is, is that the best you can do? Is that the best you can do? One of my most interesting favorite passages in the Bible comes from Proverbs chapter 27. This is the person who lives with a perfectionist. It says this, a nagging wife is like water going drip, drip, drip <laughs> on a rainy day. Or in the other version on your notes, a quarrelsome wife is like the dripping of a leaking roof in a rainstorm. Restraining her is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand. Here's what the writer of Proverbs is saying. If you live with a nagger or a perfectionist, it's like Chinese water torture. They're going to tie your hands and drip water on your nose one at a time. Now, it's an equal opportunity offender. So, ladies, it's not just you. It just happened to be the one who was talking about. Men can do this too. Constant nagging, constant nagging all the time. You ever, you ever have a relative and they're kind of given to this sort of thing, the nagging and the complaining and you don't particularly enjoy being around them, but at the holidays, maybe you have to be. I won't name who, but we have a particular relative in our extended family who's kind of like this. And the idea of going out to eat with this person is not something you ever want to do. Because no matter how good the service is, there's something she's going to complain about. And she's not just going to complain about it quietly to herself. She's going to complain about it loudly to everybody around her. You, you, am I, you guys have family members like that? If not, please take mine. Please. <laughs> It's Christmas. Man, I'll give it to you. Yeah. But you take her out to eat, and something will be wrong, and she will complain about it. It reminds me of a joke I heard where somebody asked the waiter, waiter, do you serve crabs? And the waiter says back, no, we'll serve anybody here. We'll serve anybody. We'll serve it. It's the way I feel about it with her. So, listen, there's a lot of ways we can describe complaining, but I don't understand think that sometimes we understand this is not just something that's nice to do. For followers of Jesus, it's actually a sin to get stuck in a complaining pattern. Now, I'm not saying you can't complain occasionally. And I'm not saying you can't let off a little steam in a safe environment with a trusted friend. I'm not saying on occasion you can't be a little bit of a funk. Of course you can. But the Bible says 
that your ability to shine in a dark world is affected if you're given to a lot of complaining. If you're given to a lot of just kind of arguing with God and with others about your circumstances, that it actually affects the light that God wants to shine through you in the world. So I'm going to give you very quickly five ways that you and I can begin to change the pattern of complaining. And now, let me just say this again. It's really easy to think about the person next to you, and maybe they need to hear this. So if I'm talking to you and today and you're hearing something somebody beside you needs to hear, here's what I'm going to ask you to do with it. I'm going to ask you to make that a matter of prayer between you and God as you pray for that person, as you lift them up. That would be a, an honorable thing to do. Don't use this and say, you know, Ben said you shouldn't do that. Please don't do that. They'll not want to come back here. You know, they won't come back to church. If this is your teenage kid I'm describing, don't say, Pastor Ben said, because they're not going to want to see me again. You're just going to make an enemy out of me. Don't do that. So pray for them quietly with yourself, right? But here's the other thing. See if any of this, even if you're not given to complaining, if any of this would help you shine more in the world like God wants his people to shine. So here's what we're going to do with number one. Five biblical steps to stop complaining and to grow in joy. Remember, we're trying to discover joy here. And complaining can not only affect the joy of those around you, it can affect your own joy. The words you speak over time bring to us a certain reality. That's a biblical perspective. That it both out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks, and there's life and death in the power of the tongue, the Bible says. That we actually, with the way we speak to the world around us, to ourselves, have an impact on the world around us. So number one then, how we can move forward here, is admit, admit it's a problem. Admit it's a problem, not for your spouse, but for you. Admit to yourself that you have a problem sometimes complaining. You really can't deal with anything if you don't admit it's a problem. Now I know, if you're the complainer in the room, you don't think that. What you think is, is you have justifiable gripes, right? You're just a realist. Or if you're in church, you just have prayer requests. I get it. That's the way that works. I'm just sharing my concerns. I get it. And there's legitimacy in all that. But if we're not careful, it bleeds over to a pattern. So maybe as I was describing the four or so kind of recurring complaining types, archetypes, maybe you've identified a tendency in you. Well, let's just admit that. Admit that. Here's why you have to admit the problems that you have. Proverbs chapter 28. Here's what it says. Whoever conceals their sins doesn't prosper. There's something powerful about being public to yourself with what really is your responsibility. But the one who confesses and renounces their sins finds mercy. This is in the Old Testament. Jesus talked about it a lot. He said, Here's a principle that truth will set you free. The truth you embrace about yourself often is the path that sets you free. The truth you embrace about God and the world and the way he describes things is the path that begins to set you free. But just ignoring it or blaming your circumstances won't set anyone free. So sometimes if we want to get free of something, we have to admit that it really is a problem for us. If you've ever helped anybody through an addiction and they've gone to any of the 12-step programs, one of the first things is to admit the problem. And so when they introduce themselves to the crowd, they, uh, in a meaning of, of encouragement, they'll say things like this. Hi, my name is Ben and I'm a, and then they insert, you know, I'm an alcoholic, I'm a drug addict, I'm a, I'm a whatever. And for some of us to ourselves and maybe to a couple of trusted friends, we can say something like this. Hi, my name is Ben and I'm a bit of a complainer. 
See how I downplayed it? <laughs> Hi, my name is Ben, and I'm a complainer. You see how hard it is to just say that, right? Now, if you don't think you are, tell your spouse on the way home, hey, I'm not going to yell at you if you're honest, but tomorrow I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give you a lot of prep, if I complain too much. And then ask them. And then be quiet. And when they, when they respond to you, don't complain. And explain to them that you're just a realist, all right? So admit that it's a problem. Here's a the, here's the second step we can take. Accept responsibility for it. So guess whose responsibility it is in your life to help you guard your tongue and your thoughts so that you're not given to too much complaining. Guess whose responsibility that is? It's yours. Now, if you're a parent, you have a little bit of responsibility in your kid's life. And the more young they are and the more impressionable they are and the more you can help guide that. But you'd be surprised how often I hear a parent say to me, you know, my kids are always complaining. And the first question I have, because I've just been doing this a long time, is just, who else are they hearing complain all the time? Are they hearing mom and dad complain all the time? Because sometimes that stuff rubs off on us. And if you're in a work environment where there's a lot of complaining, it's very difficult. Yeah, it's uphill. But if you and I will accept responsibility, it will actually help us move forward. If you say to yourself, it's my responsibility to look at, look at my circumstances and not be given to arguing and complaining. But instead, I want to shine. I want God's light to shine through me in this place. I'm going to take responsibility for that. So again, in the Proverbs, the wisdom here for us is a person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. Here's what that passage is telling us. That sometimes our behavior brings pain into our lives. But you've encountered and I've encountered people, when that happens, they blame everybody for their circumstances. Sometimes they even blame God for it. And the Bible is saying to us here, that's kind of foolish. What's helpful is, is for you to take responsibility for what you can take responsibility for. And the phrase, I just couldn't help it, really is a lie we tell ourselves. So we admit our problem. We accept responsibility that we have to do what we have to do. And when we do that, it will help us move forward. Now, sometimes I think that there's a real tendency... There's a real tendency to blame other people, blame the Lord, blame others for problems we create. And when we do that, we just stay stuck. Now, this third step might be one of the most powerful and life-changing things you could do. And I promise you, if you're a complainer, if you're given to this, the person next to you, when I say this, is hoping you will take this one to heart. Number three, practice expressing gratitude. Now, those words are important. First of all, it's practice, so it may not come easy. You may stumble at first. It may be hard to do. Second word, expressing. I didn't say practice feeling gratitude. It's like the old couple, been married for 50 years. The wife looks at the husband and says, you never tell me you love me. And he says, I told you on the day we were married, and if it ever changes, I'll let you know. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. It doesn't work. It has to be expressed. It's not enough to feel it. You have to express these things. And there is a practice we can get into where we begin to express gratitude to God, 
to others. And nothing breaks the, the bondage of complaining like saying thank you, expressing gratitude, disciplining ourselves, even if our heart is not full of it, disciplining ourselves to say thank you. When our kids are little, we teach them this. Say please and thank you. They're the magic words. That was a little video I used to play for my daughter all the time of Barney, the purple dinosaur. I hate that guy. But I got so sick of it. But that's powerful stuff. And I can tell you, in a marriage, when please and thank you disappears, it's an early warning sign. When we start demanding, please goes away. It's an early warning sign. When gratitude isn't expressed, when thank you goes away, it's an early warning sign that we're veering off course. So one of the best ways to shine like stars in the heaven in a dark world is to express gratitude. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now notice, it doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. That's what Kim was wrestling with. And she was given a phrase that she had to think through and ponder over, and she kind of moved in and out of the possible realities of what that could be. Maybe you do have to be happy for what's going on. Well, I think the Bible makes it pretty clear. There's a lot of stuff we don't have to be happy for. But we probably should wrestle with the reality. What does God want to do? What part of this can I be happy for? What part of this can I be happy for? Express gratitude. Later on in this book, in chapter 4 of Philippians, Paul's going to say, I've learned in all things to be content whatever the circumstances. I haven't learned that. I don't know about you, but I haven't learned that. But I'm learning that expressing gratitude has a way of shaping my heart, but it changes the tone of the environment in which I'm operating in. Let me give you a fourth one. This one might be if, if, if expressing gratitude is the accelerant in our steps, this might be ultimately the spiritual powerful one, all right? The one that's like really, really on God's heart. Number four. See God's hand or look for God's hand in your life. So here's my circumstances. I wonder what God's doing here. That's the question. Is there anything God can accomplish in this? Instead of just seeing my circumstances, when I ask myself that question, it's saying to me, I'm leaving room that maybe God is up to something. Maybe God's up to something in making you uncomfortable in your job. Maybe God is up to something in the recurring argument you're having at home with your spouse or with your kids. Maybe there's something good God wants to bring out of this situation. Maybe he's stirring something up. So when I start looking for God's hand, it allows me to not get stuck in the circumstances and in the complaining. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Here's how Paul writes about it in another letter. He says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He's not saying that our troubles are light. Right? He's speaking literarily, metaphorically. Compared to what God's wanting to do, what we're going through, it's manageable. It's right-sized. The discomfort, the frustration, it's right-sized for all that God wants to do in our lives. 
So he says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Whatever God's trying to do in your life is far out, uh, far outweighs your circumstances and is more permanent than your circumstances. So sometimes when we complain, what we actually do is we condemn ourselves to stay in our circumstances longer. Now, this is not just positive thinking. I think that sometimes for Christians, we forget that being in a pattern of complaining is actually a sin. It's actually a sin. Now, I'm not saying complaining is a sin. I'm saying a pattern of complaining and being stuck there is a sin. God is actually at work even when we can't see him. Here's why being stuck in a pattern of complaining is such a problem for followers of Jesus. You can write these on the side if you want. Because if I get stuck in complaining about my circumstances in my life, what I'm doing is on some level, I'm questioning God's wisdom. God, do you really know what you're doing? Do you really know what's best? It's Moses and the children of Israel at the Red Sea in front of them and Pharaoh's army is behind them. God, did you bring us out here to die? Their complaining gets so bad that they start saying things like this. It's recorded in your Bible in Exodus chapters 1 through 12. God, just put us back to Egypt, at least in Egypt. Now, look how they describe Egypt. We had onion and leeks and garlic. Yeah. Think about perspective, how it has shifted. We, it's so bad here. It was so great in Egypt. And let me tell you how great it was, God. We had onions and leeks and garlic. You can get off in your perspective really quick. And by the way, this was just before God opened the Red Sea for them. I wonder, I'm just wondering, if God wants to open the Red Sea for anybody and a little bit of eye to what he might be doing would help us to sustain where we are a little bit better. So I'm questioning God's wisdom number two. Sometimes I think in our complaining, we doubt God's care. Do you really love me? Do you really care for me? If you did, why am I going through this? Fair questions, but they're not the place to park. There's a journey to pass through. Number three, I'm forgetting sometimes God's goodness. His wisdom, his care, and his goodness. That's why I think with number four, if we will just discipline ourselves to look for God's hand. And then number five, here's something we can do to help break the pattern of complaining. We can speak, when we speak, we can speak to help other people. Let our words be there to help, not to hurt. To see our words as a tool to give lift to others. So here's how Paul wrote about it in Ephesians. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for, the building, uh, for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Our words are to be marked by what's helpful for them to build them up, that it may benefit those who listen. Not just unwholesome talk. So this includes probably coarse language, but it goes so much further than that. It's about using our words to lift up, not to tear down. And I think that if you're given to complaining, saying, all right, when I talk, I'm going to try to make sure my words are helpful. That'll help begin to break the back of complaining. Here's what I'm hoping God will do in our church. That we will be a church full of people who shine like stars in the heaven. Because here's what wise people do when there are stars in the heaven. They walk towards them. They do. That's what Christmas 
story is all about. There were some wise men who saw a star, and that star and the bright light in the night guided them and directed them. And God wants to use your life in the same way. It's not an accident that Paul uses the same metaphor. Our lives are to shine like light in a dark and perverse world. And we can't do that if we're stuck in a complaining mentality. What if this holiday season you were given to taking a few of these five steps and moving forward on them? Deal appropriately with your challenge, but don't get stuck in a pattern of complaining. Let's take out our connect cards and take a few steps together as a congregation. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue our message series in Philippians as we continue to discover joy. But I'm praying that God will rise in us and raise us up to make us like stars in the heavens shining bright. But it could be that you yet haven't given your life to him. So next step A for as every week is this. Today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. If you'd like to do that, would you check the box? Drop the card in the offering bucket when it comes by at the end of our service. And in a few minutes, pray with me and say, God, I'm not in a relationship with you. I'm a sinner, but I'm willing to trust what you did on the cross and in your resurrection to cover my sin, secure a relationship between me and my heavenly Father. Just check the box and we'll communicate with you this week about it. Or next step B, today I'm choosing to be baptized. If you'd like to go public with your faith, we'd love to have that conversation with you. We have a great baptism planned for the first of the year. It'd be a great way to start off a new year. Or how about next uh, C? Who would say with me, just in a general way, hey, I'm going to rein in complaining until the new year. So before you check it, here's what I'm saying. Between now and the end of the year, you're going to be sensitive to complaining. It's a good time to do it. It's holidays. Nobody wants to hear it anyway. Right? It's a really good time. Just be sensitive to rein it in. I'm not saying you can change your life. But I'm saying change the pattern of talking and thinking. So if you'll check that, I'll pray with you about it. Ask God to give you strength to see it and to move forward. Or next step D, who would say, hey, Ben, I'm willing to invite some guests for Four C's Eve Eve service. Again, just make an invite. And next week, we'll do a quick count. We'd like to reward your effort. We believe that the things that are worth doing are worth uh, rewarding. And the things that we reward, we hope get repeated. And so we just want to celebrate people who invite their friends. You're going to want to invite them this week so they have plenty of time to get ready to be here for Christmas Eve Eve. And then next step E refers to our Christmas offering. We're doing very well. I'll give you a nice update. You're going to be pleasantly pleased with where we are next week. I'm thrilled by the faithfulness of this congregation to give. Our Seeds of Change Christmas offering, where we're investing in four major areas. All that information is on your card. You can read all about that. You're smart people. But I'm going to ask you to go ahead and bring that between now and Eve Eve if you can. Because by the end of Eve Eve, we want to be mostly there. All right? So a big update next week. You're going to love it. Let's pray about these things right now. Father, thank you for the great work that you're doing. God, I want to thank you for Kim's testimony. How uh, we hear in other people's lives and we see how you're working and it can inspire us and inform us and educate us about the ways you work. God, here's the truth. I want my life to shine like stars in the heaven. I want this church to shine in a dark and perverse world. So I pray, God, you would help us to rein in complaining, that we wouldn't be given to a complaining mentality. But we take the steps you put in front of us to begin to change that. God, I pray for encouragement to reign. I pray for warmth to reign in this place. 
I pray that for every person that walks through the doors of this place, they would feel love and acceptance and encouragement. It'd be a place they're drawn to, like the, like the wise men were drawn to that shining star. Father, I join with those that are declaring, Jesus, wash away my sins. Cover me by your blood. I want, I want to follow you with my life. And I pray, Lord, for all those folks that you're inviting through us to be a part of our Christmas Eve Eve service. That we'd be faithful, we'd be bold, we wouldn't forget it. And we'd invite those people. God, we're praying that that invite would lead to a dramatically changed 2017 for the people we care about. I pray all this in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy son. Amen.